If you want Colts talk all year long, you're in the right place. This is the official Colts podcast, giving you an updated look at what's new with the horseshoes. Gets off to Taylor. He's in. Touchdown. I-N-D-Y. Fires that way. Picked off. Darius Leonard at the five-yard line. Plants in the pocket. The Colts bring it down. A sack for Indianapolis. Steps up in the end zone. He throws. Michael Pittman. Touchdown. Let's get the podcast started. What's up, everyone? Welcome into another episode of the official Colts podcast presented by WinBet. I'm JJ Stankovitz, joined here by Matt Taylor and Lara Overton. We made it to draft week. The NFL draft starts Thursday night in Las Vegas. The Colts' first pick right now is scheduled to be Friday night at number 42 overall. We are going to talk a lot about the NFL draft later in this episode. We are joined by Colts Director of Player Personnel Kevin Rogers to talk a little bit about the draft process this year. Some memories about drafting Jonathan Taylor a couple years ago. Chris Ballard's feel in the draft room. Big news coming out tonight, though, Lara, with the next pick. Episode 3 debuts Tuesday night on Colts.com It's so on Colts good we're rolling media. it out a day early so that you have two full days to get it in before the draft. We're just ramping up to Thursday night. Fantastic episode. We get back inside the draft room. We get all of that fantastic draft banter between the guys between the scouts uh, in terms of setting the board. April is where you set the board and you discuss the guys who you actually have a chance at taking. You know, you're really doing due diligence in those earlier months when they're in those uh, February meetings going through every possible scenario. Now you're really trimming it down, and Kevin will touch on that later in our conversation. But it's a really good episode. Excited for this one. There's always the challenge for Colts Productions in raising the bar, doing something different year in and year out. And episode three is one of those where we really stick to the core of what makes this series so great and that's the incredible personalities that you have in that room we feature all of those different scouts uh who you've come to you know follow and and watch and enjoy guys like morocco brown and ed dodds and chad henry and matt turpening all of those guys jamie moore one of the guys who's been a favorite for seasons past so looking forward to seeing that roll out on tuesday night yeah so keep an eye out for that and, you know, that series, by the way, just with the next pick, like me coming in from, uh, you know, not being here when the, the series debuted. Like, I remember. I actually wasn't here when the series debuted. There you go. Okay. It was it was a few months before I even started. So I was not part of the very first with the next pick. But it has become one of the areas of my role that I enjoy the very most. I just remember in, I think it was 2019, like being on Twitter and, you know, being very much immersed in like the, the Bears at that point. That was the team I was covering. And having all these people being like, oh, my God, this is an incredible yeah. series. And now you're seeing so many other teams doing it. Mm-hmm. Like the Colts are kind of at the forefront of giving giving fans a look at what the draft room is like. Because it's something that, you know, really has been a, a very exclusive thing. And just giving that little peek of what the process is like is really cool. The players who are in the building, who are on the roster right now, and we're into the second week of phase one of the Colts offseason program. Uh, the Colts will have five weeks of offseason work before two weeks of OTAs in late May. That's when they'll start running plays without pads. Veteran minicamp is June 7th through the 9th. That's the closest the Colts will come to playing real football until training camp kicks off in late July. A lot of players are here. You know, you're seeing like Rodney McLeod get in the building this week. Um, you know, some of the new guys getting here. And the attendance is pretty good right now. This, this is the program. first time in a long time that there's like a cheat sheet where you have all of the different photos of different guys. And I've had to like actually use it because there are so many new faces, yeah, a lot like, of new faces, a lot of new faces. Mm-hmm. And you're trying to line guys up because they've come in at different times and you haven't exactly gotten to sit down and meet with each and every one. So you're trying to like, you know, cross check and look and see like who you're who you're catching in the hallway. And then we'll have a few guys available. Wednesdays are going to be the, get the days that guys go up to the podium. We hear from players. So, you know, you'll yeah. get to hear from different guys. You'll hear some of those interviews on the yeah. Colts Audio Network. By the way, and I know masks too. I know. No I know. You can actually see their faces. I I got thrown off though. I saw Kylan Granson in the hallway last week. Oh, the short hair. And yeah, his hair. It's it's not you know the the big hair that he had last year. It's short. And I was like, it took me a second. Yeah. Like, oh, hey, Kylan. Yeah. Like yeah. I was you know kind of looking at him, and he probably thought I was a total weirdo because I'm like staring at him like. Are you Kyle? Yes, you are Kylan Granson. I saw Marvell Tell from behind and didn't realize because he is very, he cut his hair really close yeah. too, or cut his hair really short, and so he turned around. I was like Marvell, like yeah, it was so transformations. Yeah, I guess. yeah. But you know, uh, with all those new faces, there is a core of guys coming back to this roster that 
experienced that sting of last year. And Ryan Kelly talked about that, about how he's still dealing with the disappointment of last season. So before we kind of launch into this conversation, here's what Ryan Kelly had to say last week. Yeah, it's kind of hard to find the silver lining in that one. You know, it's uh, I think that there is a lot to look back on when we started the season. We started slow and then we finished, you know, not so great. And so to be a winning team, to be a championship caliber team the way that we knew we you know, had the talent to do, uh, we have to just play more than eight game stretch really well, you know. And so I think that um, we've got to certainly have the guys in the locker room to do it. It's just it's about going out there and, you know, believing that we can do it. I think that that maybe was something that we lacked last year. Um, and we just, you know, I know everybody's going to be asking about Jacksonville for a while because, I mean, hell, it's five months now and you're still wrapping your brain around how that could happen, you know, with the team that we had. So um, wish I had a better answer for you on that one. So, Mayte, what, what's been the vibe you've got over the last, you know, seven to ten days about how players are, are balancing forgetting about last season and knowing that this is a new team? You know, you're seeing the new faces come into the building, but also using the, the way last season ended as fuel right now at this point in the offseason. I think a lot of guys still aren't over it. And, and Ryan said it's been five months. Really, it's only been three and a half months. Um, and I, I really like what Frank Reich said, you know, the, the analogy that he used. It's, it's a scar. It's going to heal, but it's always going to be there. It's a reminder of what happened, and it's going to take time to kind of heal and, and get over. I think there is a balance of having to move on, flush the terrible memories of how last season ended, but also use it as motivation. And I think as a player, what is helpful is instead of thinking about all of the Many things, all of the individual things that went wrong and, and led up to the collapse of last season, all you have to do is just say 2021. And everybody knows what that means. Just simplify it in your head. You ask yourself every day as a player, what are you going to do today to make sure that never happens again? When you're in that position, how are you going to rise up? And we know last year wasn't just all about the final two games. Had the Colts closed out seven games along the way, they make the playoffs. And it, it is, it's a hard thing as a player. It really is. I've never played in the NFL, but when I was in college, we lost an NCAA tournament football game on the final play of the game. We gave it up on the final play, a touchdown, that ended our season, and that fueled everybody in the entire offseason. Everybody worked their tails off in the weight room, conditioning. We had great buy-in that entire offseason. Nobody had to persuade anybody else to put in the work. Nobody wanted to feel that, that terrible feeling again, so I think – in that sense, there is a very tiny, I'm not trying to be, you know, cliche, but I think in that sense, there is a tiny silver lining to the work and the motivation that's going into the, the offseason because of just how bad the prior season ended. I'm so ready to move on from it. Like, I'm so ready to get like through the draft and get guys mm-hmm. back and just start looking ahead, start focusing forward. And yeah, there is something to be said for like using this motivation. But one thing I help, I think, and I, I hope that will flush a little bit of this is the influx of so many new faces. You have so much new blood in this well, that's, building. That's what Frank like, Reich said. Hey, yeah. when, you, when you end the season the way we did and you've got a new system, a new yeah, quarterback, a new defensive coordinator, we got a lot of work to do anyways. Yeah. And you have he, no choice. I, exactly. So you've got, you know, Matt Ryan in here with the offense. You have Reggie working with the wide, wide receivers. Defensively, you bring in Unique Ngakwe and Stephon Gilmore and Gus Bradley and an entire new staff of personnel. So I think that that will really help. And then that's supplemented by the youth that you're going to get within the draft and how you are going to build within that as well. Guys who, you know, are, are going to not have any attachment to the end of 2021 and they're coming in with a fresh perspective. So I'm hoping that within the next month, you'll see a balance struck between the veteran guys, you know, like Ryan just touched on, who do have a bit of a chip on their shoulder and maybe they use that as fuel and motivation. But then you have enough new blood, enough new energy in a positive direction that helps you move past it and move to the opportunity that you have. The the other thing I just want to touch on here is something that Ryan Kelly talked about last week about how so many players on this team are in the prime of their careers. You think about the core of this team that's been together now for two, three, four, five years. You know, Ryan Kelly and DeForest Buckner, those guys are kind of in their late 20s. Grover Stewart's in his late 20s. That came from my asking Ryan about being the elder statesman. He is now, because of the retirement of Jack Doyle and T.Y. Hilton in free agency, he's currently the longest-tenured Colt on the roster. And the oldest Colt on the offensive side of the ball, it's so Sean Coleman, a tackle who was signed to a reserve future contract, 
He's 30. He's the, the oldest guy on the Colts offense who's not named Matt Ryan. And then, uh, you know, beyond that, it's Ryan Kelly and Mo Ali Cox are both 28, um, which, you know, kind of tells you a lot about the NFL and uh, how it's, you know, kind of stands for not for long. But so the, the core of this roster, again, it's a lot of guys in their late to mid-20s who are in the primes of their careers. So Quentin Nelson, Darius Leonard, Braden Smith, Tyquan Lewis, Naheem Hines, Zaire Franklin, those guys are all 25 to 27. Bobby O'Karake, Kari Willis, EJ Speed, Paris Campbell, those guys from the 19 draft are all kind of in their mid-20s. Even though Jonathan Taylor is only 23 as a running back, that is the prime of your career. You know, Michael Pittman's an ascending guy. And the thing that I just want to talk about here, which we can kind of lead into a discussion about Matt Ryan, is that even though Matt Ryan is is 37, he's going to be in his late 30s, Matt Ryan understands that sense of urgency. He has it too, because for someone who's 36 going on 37, um, he knows, like, yeah, he he thinks he can play for a long time, but you never know when that, when you get to this age, when it's going to kind of come to an end. So for Matt Ryan, I think there's a lot of urgency there too to come into a situation where he thinks he can win and to kind of be that veteran leader on this team. So to, to me, that's another nice little aspect is you're trying to move on from last season. You dump in a guy like Matt Ryan who can kind of continue to lead that charge just from a different perspective, who still is very motivated, but in sort of a, a different type of a way. Oh, absolutely. I mean, listen, he knows what's going on. I mean, Matt Ryan understands that when you come over here and you switch teams, it's all about winning a Super Bowl. I mean, that's what he prioritized when he switched teams and went to the Atlanta Falcons and said, I would like to be traded. And he wanted to go to a team where it was set up, where he could have success. And, of course, the, the Falcons obliged in that sense, you know, only demanding, if you will, a, a third-round pick in terms of compensation in the trade. And he knows that you know he's one hard hit or one injury away from you know it being hard to come back from that at, at his age. So he's got two years on the contract. Everybody knows what this is. It's time to go now. The Colts are set up for success absolutely right now here at the moment. We've talked about this ad nauseum in the off season with seven Pro Bowlers and and three All Pro guys. And you know now you set yourself up even more for the window of opportunity with Unique Ngakwe and Stephon Gilmore. The fact that. Matt Ryan can now play with an elite defense, at least on paper. That's exciting. And everybody knows that they have to capitalize on what they have right now because there's not a ton of missing pieces on this on this team right now across the board on the roster. And we, we haven't even had the draft yet, which makes it really exciting for what's coming up this weekend. So I want to just let, let's talk a little bit about Matt Ryan because something we heard last week from Frank Reich, you know, about 10% of the offense is starting to be tweaked right now. Um, just by getting a new quarterback in, whether it's you know little things like how you want the depth of a certain route to be, what you call that route, whether you call it a Dover route or a dig route or whatever it might be. There are just little subtle things that Matt Ryan's already tweaking. And the, that those, those kind of things, like what are we going to see, like what subtle tweaks do you envision with Matt Ryan at quarterback? I think those little things are going to be a little bit harder to see. But I want to talk a little bit about some of the things that we will see with Matt Ryan here. And I did a little bit of research on this because there's sort of this, this thought that Matt Ryan coming in means, all right, he's going to throw the check down a little bit more. He's going to get the ball to Naheem Hines. He's going to get the ball to Jonathan Taylor if, you know, boom, boom, one, two isn't open, get, get to the check down, that type of stuff. There is some actual data here that I can throw at you that tells you that Matt Ryan's going to do this. So last year... On, when Matt Ryan had three or more seconds to throw the football, his average depth of target was nine yards. So he's throwing the ball about nine yards beyond the line of scrimmage. Carson Wentz last year, with three seconds to throw, three or more seconds to throw, his average depth of target was 16.1 yards. So right there, you can see that's a seven-yard difference, and that just tells you, again, what you what we know about these guys. Carson, when he got it, when he held onto the ball a long time, he wanted to throw it deep. He wanted to get that shot downfield. Matt Ryan is maybe a little less willing to kind of push the ball downfield, and he's going to take the the safer throw. And even though... Um, Which is more closely related to what you saw from Phillip Rivers in yes, 20. That's exactly. when you look and envision what the offense might somewhat right. look like. And Tom Brady. Well, right. But And, and here's the crazy that's, thing. So that's Brady's career right there. I, I threw those numbers at you guys where Carson's throwing it downfield more, Matt Ryan's maybe checking it down a little bit more. 
on those plays where they had three or more seconds to throw the football, Carson Wentz's yards per attempt was 7.7. Matt Ryan's was 7.5. So they're about the same efficiency. Matt Ryan's just throwing a little bit shorter. So right there, that's like that. That shows you. And by the way, on those plays, um, Matt Ryan had no interceptions. Carson Wentz had five. So again, that's that's just kind of taking what's there. And that's not to say Carson. And some of was, that comes from like the veteran savvy, right? Yeah, like right. Just right. being as experienced as you are. What fourteen years right. in the NFL? Understanding. Yes. But I'm also like Carson Wentz's arm allowed him to do that. This yeah. is not me saying Carson Wentz was you know a terrible quarterback for doing that. This mm-hmm. is just the difference in the quarterbacks that you're going to be looking for. So that was just kind of the the rabbit hole I fell down on Pro Football Focus. But what you know, what do you guys think? Uh, you know, you might see just some of those little subtle. Tweaks. Mate, let's start with you on this one. I think the Colts are trying to dial up more yards after the catch. And that goes back to what Lara said a couple years ago with Phillip Rivers. That was a the Colts had their chunk plays in 2020, but a lot of it was yards after the catch. And I don't think there's any right or wrong way to get yak. You just need yak. And the Colts didn't have a ton of it last year. So I think generally speaking, you're going to see the ball come out quicker this year with Matt Ryan, as you said, JJ. I doubt you're going to see nearly as many RPOs as you did last year with Carson Wentz because there is not that threat, the mobility threat um, with uh, Matt Ryan as compared to Carson Wentz. So I think the Colts have been diving into Matt Ryan's tape with the Falcons, and they're just trying to marry that with their scheme, his preferences and the skill set they have on offense. You know, it's kind of like, you know, obviously we know that uh, Matt Ryan and Peyton Manning are very, very close, and Peyton's been giving Matt Ryan a lot of advice and guidance this offseason because he has gone through the transition, you know, 14 years with one team moving to a different situation. Just keep things simple and, and, and try to take as much as what you have done, what's yours, so that you don't have to adapt to everybody else. Everybody else can adapt to you in the simple things. And by that, he means like your cadence. Your cadence is your cadence. If it's okay with Frank and the offense and the rest of the coaching staff, bring your cadence because that's been you your entire life. That's what you've been used to. Have everybody else kind of adapt to that because it's not as big of a deal for them to adapt your cadence compared to vice versa. They're trying to marry those things. And I think, you know, also, too, from a bigger picture standpoint, Fortunately here for the Colts, uh, they're pretty used to doing this. You know, Frank Reich, this is, what, five years in a row now with a new uh, quarterback and trying to tailor what they do on offense to fit the skill set of what they have at the quarterback. So I think the bigger benefit this year is actually going to be getting him time on the field in the offseason in the huddle with the skilled players, time on task that they haven't had with a new quarterback in the offseason the last, you know, two, three years. Larry, you mentioned Phillip Rivers and – he came in in 2020 with no offseason, none of this, what Matt Ryan's doing right now. He threw for 4,000 yards and completed 68% of his passes. When you think about where those two guys are at this stage of their career and what the offense they're, they're being dropped into looks like, how, how much more beneficial can this be for Matt Ryan in relation to what Phillip did two years ago? Well, they were they're coming in in different positions where, you know, Philip had such a down year with the Chargers the year prior to coming in that he was looking to resurrect himself and end on a higher note whereas I don't think Matt Ryan is coming in with, you know, that type of production. His production was much better on what was probably a much worse football team yeah, Rivers threw 20 picks the year before he right came here. Yeah. right and and so Matt of course didn't have a ton of weapons didn't have a fantastic offensive line his final few years in Atlanta so he's coming in in a better position he's uh younger than Philip was at that point in time as well but when you look to what we experienced from Philip Rivers and what you anticipate with Matt Ryan I'm kind of going back to Chris's season ending presser about like making the layups Mm -hmm. and what you're going to get from Matt Ryan is he's not going to be reckless he's not going to put the football in harm's way that's what you kind of saw with Philip Rivers is that there wasn't that hero ball like they have the potential to make the big plays when called upon but he they know what their limitations are they're able to have that humility of playing to the strengths of the guys around them and not carrying the entire responsibility on their shoulders the other thing I think about is the ability of a guy like Matt Ryan to elevate the rest of the guys around him and to when you think about you know people are looking to and they think oh you don't have enough weapons in the receiving game you're not deep enough at tight end those type of situations what I think Matt Ryan has the potential to do is allow Mo Cox to hit his ceiling you know allow Kylan Granson to play at a higher level of production 
guys like Desmond Patman, Michael Strawn, because Matt Ryan has had so many guys who are in there second year, third year, fourth year, who he has guided to breakout seasons because of the type of leader he is and because of his willingness to distribute the ball, to rely on guys in various situations and to not force himself into situations that are going to cost you in high profile, prominent situations. So let's talk about some of those guys who Matt Ryan will be throwing the ball to. Um, we'll, We'll get into the draft Again, a little bit later here, but we went again. Just want to set up the draft by talking about the guys in the building. So let's start by playing a little bit of sound from Frank Reich and Chris Ballard again, talking about the skill position players that Matt Ryan will be throwing to in 2022 who are already on the roster. What I know of the guys that I, when I look down at the depth chart right now, Greg, and I see those young receivers, um, I understand what the outside perception is. You got a bunch of guys, and how many catches do they have? Um, I, I see the side of a, a lot of upside with those players and uh, looking forward to seeing those guys continue to develop. Really excited to get Mo back. Um, you know, with Jack being retired and right, hats off to Jack, right? I mean, one of the all-time true greats. But this is going to be an opportunity for Mo to step up, Kylan Granson to step up um, from the tight end position. And then we'll see who we add. You guys know there's nobody better than Chris. There's nobody better than Chris at continuing to develop the roster as we go, whether that be in the draft or whether that be signing guys in the next couple months or signing somebody in training camp. There's nobody, you know, in my mind, there's nobody does that better than Chris. So what I think when I look at our roster and I think about where we're going to be, I trust Chris. I trust that Chris, you know, and I trust our guys. Um, uh, In my mind, we got everything we need. But I know Chris is always working on that, and it'll get better. All right, so listening to what what Frank and Chris had to say, when you look at the guys who are here, so, you know, Michael Pittman Jr., Paris Campbell, uh, Mike Strawn, Desmond Patman, Kiki QT, uh, Paris Campbell, that kind of group of of guys. Taking Pittman aside, because he's already broken out, he's he's already a 1,000-yard receiver established in the NFL. Which of those guys are you betting on taking a step forward in this offense in 2022 and maybe being the number two receiver regardless of who the Colts draft uh, this week? I don't know if it's number two wide receiver confidence, but of that group, the guy that I think has the biggest chance to be, um, as Frank Reich and um, Chris Ballard have put it this offseason, you know, a formidable threat, um, I think is Kiki QT. You know, he spent – all of last season, majority of last season, because he was active a couple of times last year for the Colts. Um, but he spent a lot of last year on the practice squad. And and his thing has not been, can he play? Can he produce in the NFL? His thing has been similar to that of Paris Campbell. Can he stay healthy? That was his problem with the Houston Texans. But just watching him play, and we know he can play because he's played very well against the Colts. In fact, he's played his best uh, in his career against the Colts. I think from a skill standpoint, there's no limitations to him in terms of can he translate to the NFL. It's just can he stay healthy. And I think if he does stay healthy of that group, because I have seen him play on Sundays and produce at a high level on Sundays, I think of that group, he has the highest probability, in my opinion, going into camp to kind of emerge from that group and produce at a reasonably high level for the Colts. Now, what, whatever that means, is it 300 yards, 400 yards, 500 yards? I don't know if it's going to be number two wide receiver production, but I think he can obviously play at a reasonably high level in the NFL. I hope that not only for the production of the offense, but also so there's just more excuses to play Drake in my feelings in Lucas Oil Stadium. Kiki, do you love me? Do you not think of that every time you hear Kiki QT, guys? Come on. Really? Uh, you know, I'm not a big Drake guy. Okay. I, I, I have never heard on. that song, but We're if just... you say so, that's cool. Uh, I, I, I'm not shocked that Mayte hasn't heard that song. I, I have heard it. I'm just yeah, I'm not a big Drake guy. Kiki QT, <sighs> by the way, loved playing against the Colts. He has three 100-yard yeah. games. 27 yeah. catches for 328 yards in four games. I mean, you know, the, getting him here, it he should look awesome in practice, apparently. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I, I like the thought, Mayte, there that – you know, he was kind of on the roster for the whole year. And, you know, you, yeah, you talk about health. 
Uh, you know, he only played six games his rookie year, nine games his second year, eight games his third year with Houston. He's a former fourth-round pick out of Texas Tech. He's a mm-hmm. talented player. My breakout guy, and I don't know if you, like, solidify the number two, but I'm just thinking about a guy who I do think will have a breakout kind of year and mold into a consistent factor within the offense is Ashton Doolin. I see him being within that template of what you got from Zach Paschal in seasons past. I mean, you know, of course, 2021, we saw a bit of lower production for Zach Pascal than what you were used to seeing, but you still saw some of those big plays where he was able to be that go-to guy. And I see that Ashton is emerging within that same type of model that we saw from Zach Pascal. Comes in as a guy who's an incredible contrib- contributor on special teams. If he has a chance to ascend within the offense, I think that he can follow a bit of that trajectory. And I know that nothing terrifies Bubba Ventron more than that because he knows he keeps losing his go-to <laughs> like special teams guys special teams playmakers because they keep emerging as factors in other areas yeah if, if the question is who who do you feel more confident about being on the roster ashton Doolin's going to be on the roster yeah. he has to I mean he's you know second team all pro and in, in special teams and as as lara said he did come on when the colts needed him to in the in the passing game Track last guy. year as a wide receiver you know, I, I still think that that Kiki QT, I think, I don't know what the right phrase is, higher ceiling, just because I've seen it. I, it's not a projection. It, he can play on Sundays in this league, but unfortunately his progress has been derailed because he's had to sit on the sideline because of injuries. I, I'm going to kind of hedge here on mine, and I'm going to say one of, at least one of, Mike Strawn and Desmond Patman is going to take a big step forward. I mean, Desmond Patman last year, for what it's worth, he led the NFL in receiving yards in preseason. Mike Strawn, I mean, you remember how awesome he looked in practice. He had 10 catches for 130 yards in preseason. Like, these guys have done it on a bit of a smaller stage. Obviously, Patman, that touchdown against Arizona, was a, a really, really nice play. I, I think one of those guys with their size, their speed, I, I think that with the coaching of Reggie Wayne here, and the direction given to them by Matt Ryan, who Frank Reich said, you know, as a quarterback, you kind of have to be a wide receivers coach. I think Matt Ryan coming in with the experience he has, especially throwing to a guy like Julio Jones, and again, I'm not comparing these guys to Julio, but that kind of big body receiver, you know, what are you looking for? Where do you want the ball placed on these things? I think that that can really benefit those two guys. Um, let's get on here to what we're going to talk about with the draft and start with Kevin Rogers, the interview we did, uh, director of player personnel for the Colts. So take a listen to this. It's a really informative conversation we had with Kevin about the process of the NFL draft, some things about this year's draft that are a bit different, and then also uh, some good stuff about what the Colts' decision to trade up to get Jonathan Taylor two years ago. Take a listen. All right, our guest today on the official Colts podcast is Colts Director of Player Personnel, Kevin Rogers. We're here to talk a little bit about the upcoming NFL draft, some NFL drafts of years past, and a little bit of the Colts offseason. So, Kevin, thanks for joining us here. You got it. So this is kind of the first normal draft period in the last couple of years, probably since 2019, since you know you, you were able to really get out and do all the evaluations and, and have scouts all over the country and the other part of this that seems normal is that it's just like you probably have better access to players. It's not over Zoom. It's not kind of amid this kind of COVID limbo. Um, how has that all played out over the last couple of months as, as you know, the Colts have built the draft board and, and doing all these evaluations? No, I think it was it was two years of relative uncertainty compared to what you're used to getting. And I think the the biggest thing is just being able to get your hands back on them with the combine. Um, you know, the coaches talk to them in informal interviews. You get them in the in the top sixty formal interviews. Um, you know, and then on top of that, being able to get out private workouts, get to the pro days, interact with the kid, take them out to dinner. You know, meet their agent, meet their parents. It's just it's been a much more engaging process than the past two years have allowed. And through with the next pick, I've had the opportunity in producing it and working with Colts Productions the past few seasons. We get to know you guys and so much about the process. You've been with this organization for 20 years. How much have you modified and seen this process evolve in your two decades of scouting and specifically preparing for the draft itself? 
Well, I think, you know, this is the third regime I've been under here, and every regime does it different. Um, you know, I think I think Chris and Ed, they both, it's as thorough a process as I've ever been a part of, just with the amount of tape you watch, the amount of time you spend together watching the tape, the character, the interviews. Um, I'm not sure it can evolve much more than, than it's evolved here. I think... Uh, Every ton- every stone has been unturned with the way Chris runs things. And, oh, it's such a strong dynamic with, with you guys, with the group that you have now going into essentially your, your five years of working together with this specific group of guys, five, six seasons, whatever it happens to be. What is special about the group that you have and how much confident, it, how much has that confidence grown in working together, relying on one another through this process? No, it's, I think it's a good question. You know, I think when you're around people, you no different than any profession. You learn how they work, how they operate, how they see things. And I think, you know, we have a really good group. We have a, a dichotomy. We have some older scouts, more experienced. We have some really young, excellent upcoming scouts. And I think the thing that, the thing that I've noticed is that when you're able to sit down in the draft room with the general manager with the assistant general manager, with experienced scouts, watch tape, see what they see. I think the learning curve, I mean, it's its exponential. And I think it's our young guys have grown so much because of the way we, we operate. Kevin, you said the the you know the haze in the barn, so to speak, right? All the the work is done for the most part, and all those stones have been unturned here. Uh, as we sit here and talk right now, it's Tuesday of draft week, and then the first round's Thursday, second round's Friday. The Colts currently sit at number forty two on on Friday. Just from your standpoint, how how hard are, are these last couple of days, knowing that the work's ready, but you have to sit and wait? How excruciating is this? It's it's actually probably the best week during the process because the the haze in the barn uh-huh. um, and th- now is when the real fun conversations happen right it's it's been three times going through each player in okay. detail all right um, talking the character you know who does this guy remind you of now it's instead of apples to apples now it's apples to oranges right it's hey would you rather take this guy at this position this guy at this position why um, and to me, that's when the fun conversations happen. Hey, should we trade down here? Should we go up and mm-hmm. and try to get this guy there? I think this, to me, this is the most enjoyable week of the process. Do you guys talk about hypotheticals? Like, you know what the needs are for other teams and where they might be leaning. Do you go into, hey, if this happens, then we're going to take this guy or look for this team to maybe take this guy. And if that happens, this is how we would pivot? Yeah, I mean, I, I don't think you want to spend too much time overanalyzing that ahead of time. But as it gets closer to the pick, you certainly want to uh-huh. calculate that as, you know, the Jonathan Taylor thing, right? I mean, that that was a that was one of those things. Hey, do we want to risk right. sitting here? And and it kind of as players started peeling off the board, we said, hey, let's let's go get them. So I think it's got to be it's got to be closer to the point. Mm-hmm. You don't want to outthink yourself. I want to ask you about the the Jonathan Taylor thing because we have a little video coming out on Colts.com and on our social channels. Just looking back on that decision to go up and get Jonathan Taylor moving up a couple spots in the 2020 draft. What's to, what stands out to you about just like Chris's feel when it comes to the draft and knowing when to go get a guy and when to stay pat and when to trade back? Because it seems like he's had a ton of success with those decisions as a general manager here. Chris, Chris does an outstanding job. First of all, he's a phenomenal evaluator. And then I think the other thing Chris does that, and I don't know how he does it personally. I'm not, I'm not a big phone guy I'm not a big social guy but Chris is phenomenal at exercising his resources talking to as many people as he can and he he does more reconnaissance work on who's into what 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 players what coaches are on in with what programs I mean he he's phenomenal at it and I think he more often than not he calls the shots as as the guys start peeling off and the second round, I mean, you just mentioned Jonathan Taylor and Michael Pittman getting those guys in the second round, the success that you had in 18, where that's where you got Braden Smith and Darius Leonard and things like that. But in this conversation that we had about 2020, it was not only, of course, moving up for Jonathan Taylor, but can you explain why it went the, the way it fell out? You guys, both you liked both Jonathan and Michael Pittman, but why was it Pittman first and then you did the work to make sure you could secure JT as well? Sure. No, and I think... It's a good question, and I think if you look at the 
you know, the free agent market's a good indicator of that, right? Receiver contracts are getting out of this world. And, you know, they've become a hot commodity. Uh, that combined with the fact that the running back position has been diminished uh, in recent seasons. And, uh, you know, we looked at it. Uh, you know, T. Higgins comes off the board with the last pick of the, or pardon me, the first pick of the second round. And we said, hey, with all the, the receivers that went off in the first round, we, we better make our move for Michael, um, knowing full well knowing that there were still some backs on the board that could come off ahead of us. So we started at Sam Pat, and, and fortunately, Jonathan was there when it was our turn to, to make the call. Kevin, is this a, a deeper draft just in terms of overall quantity because of guys going back to school because of the COVID year? And how, how challenging has that become? You know, not not as challenging as you would have anticipated going into the year. Um, it's certainly more. I think there's a there's a far bigger crop of undrafted free agents, mm-hmm. but I don't think the draftable crop is appreciably bigger this year than okay. it was a year ago. And the other thing that's added an element to it is everybody that's still in school got an extra year too. So there's still some guys that could have come out that went back. So, right. Um, I think it's going to be a much more aggressive undrafted free agent market, certainly than we were in a year ago. Right. You know, last year we signed a lot of veteran one and two year players just because we knew the undrafted crop was going to be thin. This year, I think you're going to see a much more aggressive Colts team after the draft. Kevin, one thing that when we heard from Ryan Kelly last week, because of course players are getting back in the building, it's such an exciting time. You got guys back for off-season work, and then you're about to select this draft class upcoming, and then you know the month of May gets incredibly busy with the dynamic of melding the old and the new players. But Ryan hit on the emphasis of you have so many guys who are in the prime of their careers right now that you want to capitalize on that, having so many returning guys. Do you guys in your draft room almost feel a little bit of the same way in having a lot of interest where you have guys who are in coveted positions here who have drawn interest from other teams, who have interviewed for general manager job, and you know you've got a special dynamic here. You want to capitalize on this this brilliance that you have with all of the wealth of talent in your own draft room that you want to capitalize on that. I mean, every year you want to be competitive, but even more so, you know you're not going to be able to bring the band back together year after year. Sure. No, I mean, I think... I think that's a great thing about our room is, you know, for one, Chris promotes people moving upward and onward with their career. And I think we're in a room where it fosters growth and and nobody's inhibited. Um, dissension is is encouraged. Right. He wants he wants difference of opinion. And I think it, it promote even if we do lose somebody, I think the way that that our draft room operates, I think we're ready to to step in and, and replace should, should we lose anyone. I, I want to go back to the undrafted free agents because you mentioned that's probably a deeper pool of players this year. How do you go about whittling that down? Because as I imagine it, you're dealing with hundreds of players who could be in that pool, who could potentially be signed to be brought in uh, you know, in training camp as an undrafted free agent or in a tryout. What's the process of whittling that down versus you know, obviously getting the guys on the draft board who you believe could be drafted? Sure. No, that's a good question. It's uh there are multiple layers to that, right? So we have players that maybe a scout gave a draftable grade that has fallen off the board. Um, we go back and analyze him to see if, hey, the, the scout liked this guy. Let's see why. Why does he not deserve to be on the board? Hey, there's still got to be something there. Let's prioritize him, right? You have the testing numbers, the guys that maybe weren't quite on the radar that blow out their pro day, blow out the combine. You know, we divide those guys up amongst the pro department, and each scout has set positions, and they'll they'll go back and we get the numbers every day, daily, and we'll check them. Hey, this guy tested well. We'll put on the workout. We'll put on the tape. If it's good, boom, he's at the top, right? So there there are multiple layers to that process, and it's going to be critical for us to to get some young talent this year. I mean, you think about some of the undrafted free agents on this team. Obviously, Kenny Moore the second. You know, is up there. Jack Doyle was a guy who was an undrafted free agent. Um, just that the importance of that, I think, sometimes when he gets lost in this draft process, that it's the, the the player acquisition doesn't end at the draft. It it almost can sometimes kind of ramp up in the twenty four to forty eight hours after the draft. No, and I, I think you know everything kind of starts with the draft, right? And then really the the pro side 
of scouting starts after the draft, mm-hmm. right? They're, they're no longer college guys. And, you know, that's when the workouts will start. Hey, if there's still a guy in the street that had some numbers, we'll get him in, kick the tires. Uh, one thing Chris says is, hey, if, if you can get 1% better, even with your 90th guy, let's, let's get that 1% better. So that process, uh, it never stops. And the more, you know, the more, you know, rocks you flip over, you never know what you're going to find. Mm-hmm. I'm stealing a stat right here from, from Laura Rutledge, and I retweeted it. But she said just four days away from the NFL draft, and this was tweet, tweet, tweeted out, easier for me to say, worth remembering how significant day two and day three are. Among active NFL players in 2021, 66% were drafted after the third round or went undrafted. How much of that is trying to anticipate certain positions or certain guys you might be able to catch later who are talent you think could have been taken higher? How much of that prediction is there and how much emphasis in there is how much emphasis is there on the impact that those later rounds do have days two and three? No, I mean, I think, you know, expectations change from round to round. But, you know, I think as you get to the bottom half of the draft and even undrafted free agency, you want to be a little less picky. What can the guy do, right? It's not it's not so much poking holes, right? The guys at the top, you want to say, let's make sure this guy is as clean as a driven snow. Let's fire every bullet in him we can. And as you get down further, you know, what, does this guy have speed? Does he have strength? Does he have something unique that gives him a chance, right? I mean, EJ Speed, long, fast, athletic, you know, smaller school, but, but it gave him a chance. Um, you know, guys like that are the ones that, you know, if you take a shot on them late, they get a chance to pan out. Kevin, last one from me. Just what's the draft room like on on draft night? Everybody thinks it's like the movies with the phones ringing and side conversations, screaming and yelling, chaos is unfolding, people yelling at TVs. How how true or false is that? Very false. Very <laughs> false. It's about it's like that probably about 5 picks before you're on the clock. Uh-huh. And then it dies down again. So it's a lot of hurry up and wait. Um you know, a lot of banter just with, hey, you know, this guy went off, you had him here. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I was right on this guy. There's a lot of yeah. scout jargon, but as far sure. as the the madness and the, and the you know, the wolf on Wall Street type, <laughs> you know, there's, there's, there's not that at all. I would love to see that. Can you, can you imagine? Uh, that's fantastic. I was thinking about, like, the Leonardo DiCaprio, like, where he's standing up in front of like the whole trading room it's like i'm not going anywhere right isn't that i'm not, I'm not hey it's a movie reference you it's made good reference. for you thanks guys i'm yeah. trying to try to never get seen any movies but you made a movie right. reference good are you not a movie buff no not, she hasn't not seen christmas vacation yeah. like that's the level i look like gene siskel compared to you <laughs> movie knowledge should i not talk to her yeah yeah for mul- for multiple reasons, but not just that, Kevin. That's well true. played, sir. Kevin, one thing that we get to see when we do get into with the next pick, and we've seen it in previous seasons, that I think Frank really enjoys being in there with you guys, and you guys lean a lot on his opinions. How valuable is it to have the coaches in there, especially with a new defensive scheme? And you have guys who have been in this position before. Gus Bradley's been a head coach. John Fox's been a head coach. And now those guys are part of our process. No, it's for one, it's important just to get on the same page, you know. And, and Gus has been phenomenal, giving us his time and and explaining what what the difference, what the subtle difference is between what we were a year ago and what we're going to be now. And then I think the other key element of it is, and it's it's not always an easy thing in the NFL, is to have that mutual respect between coaching and scouting, right? I think there's there's a natural you know, tug of war between those two, but when when there's not, when it's healthy, which is something I think we have, and I think it's very unique, uh, I think it can really take you to the next level. Last one here for you, Kevin. Um, you know, before we let you get out of here, I did want to ask you about the some of the additions made on the pro side already. Obviously, Matt Ryan, Unique Ngakwe, Stefan Gilmore, three pretty big names around the NFL and three players with a lot of proven production. What's their fit on this team just from a uh, you know, a talent standpoint, but also just from a character and a, a leadership standpoint. No, I mean, I think when you talk about getting three, you know, high-end players that have proven it, and then you take all three guys are high-end character guys, uh, I, you know, that's a unique thing, especially in free agency. Um, you know, Matt Ryan accomplished 
quarterback that uh, I mean was was the heart and soul of Atlanta for years. I think he's already making his imprint on our locker room. Um, Yannick, I mean, we we know him very well. I mean, played against him in Jacksonville, gave us fits for years. Uh, have nothing. People have had nothing but phenomenal things to say about him. Uh, he's going to be great for our young our young pass rushers in that room. And then Gilmore, I mean, really has been playing at a high level. It was just the you know the injury and you know the medical checked out well and. Um, he's going to be phenomenal for our back end. You know, you can never have met too many veteran leaders, and all three of those guys are going to are going to make a big impact for us. Kevin, last year we had the opportunity to launch our declassified series, where we sat down with Todd Basfari and he went through some of the the scouting reports that he'd done. You've had a number of different roles within this organization. Do you have a particular either favorite player that you were involved in scouting or just a favorite story like from an evaluation period that, that sticks out to you? For example, I mean, I know that you were the cross-check on Jonathan Taylor. Tyler Hughes was the area guy, but you have a lot of guys that you're the cross-check on of late, but you've been boots on the ground for a really long time in terms of you know building players and assessing players and trying to anticipate their success in the league. No, I think... I think the most rewarding thing is when you you find a guy on the street or find a guy on the waiver wire that turns out to be a player and uh you know Kenny Moore was one of those guys you know both myself and and Boyd Jackson we had the uh the Patriots that preseason and uh I thought I thought New England was going to keep him you know just the performance he had on special teams he showed natural instincts I thought he could play nickel. They really didn't use him there, but I thought he could do it. Um, you know, and we got him here, and he was even better than advertised. The character, uh, the work ethic, and he was probably even more talented than than I thought he was. But but to see a guy like that come in and, and make an impact, it's it's rewarding. It's funny you mention that, just because when we had a chance to sit down with Stephon Gilmore upon signing him. He made mention of that that camp in 2017 in New England where he's like, you know, we had a bunch of veteran guys, you know, me and, you know, the McCourty. And he's like, then this guy, Kenny Moore, he's shoot, he's out here balling, too. Like they they and like Tom Brady, you think about all like those conversations that got aired on Hard Knocks. Like those guys remember Kenny and uh, lucky to have him here. That's no, for sure. No, I think you look at those teams that that they have a little more depth at the position. And, and that's where the, the players shake out, you know. Well, we really appreciate the time here. That's Kevin Rogers, Colts Director of Player Personnel. Again, appreciate Thanks, the Thanks, Kevin. You got it, guys. All right, so let's talk about some of the positions of need out there uh, for the Colts in the NFL draft. And, Mate, you've, you've selected four different categories for us to put these in. So we have tackle, wide receiver, quarterback, and tight end. And the categories are scalding, boiling, lukewarm and room temperature yeah this is the draft thermometer how hot are the needs right so offensive tackle is first and this i think along with wide receiver has been thrown out there you know in the mock drafts and the mock uh, or the uh, the draft analysts and then just you know talk radio is the the two positions that get talked about the most so I would say within offensive tackle, I've got it, guys, at boiling because Matt Pryor is the front runner for the job as of right now, but the Colts need depth. They only have four tackles on the roster at at the moment, and outside of your starters, if you played a game today, starters meaning Braden Smith at right tackle, Pryor at left tackle. Um, The other guys have never played an NFL snap. One guy hasn't played in the game since 2017. So for depth purposes, I've got it as pretty hot. I've got it at boiling. Larry, uh, what do you got? Scalding is, is where I took it. That's the that's scalding. Me. Scalding being hotter than boiling. That which is a, okay. a yes. That's one of the things I asked though. By this was your range though that we yeah. were using. So I that's I'm, I needed clarification. I don't know if it's so, scientific. Yeah, yeah, I don't know. But this is just yeah. To me, I, I think it's probably the greatest need that you have. Also, because you do need depth at the at the offensive line position. Right. You've seen guys who have been rotational guys who have departed and gone on to other places. It was, I mean, massively obvious in that uh, Christmas night game in Arizona, that depth that was necessary, not just at, at tackle, but across the offensive line. I mean, tackle certainly was a part of that. Um, and over the course of the season, really, with Eric Fisher coming off of that Achilles injury last year. So, yeah, I'm going to go, that's probably, to me, the hottest position group. I'm going to go lukewarm. Wow. And uh, you guys are all right about needing depth. 
you know, needing potentially someone to come in and compete with Matt Pryor, who will get the first crack at left tackle. But the way that that was kind of phrased is he'll get the first shot, but maybe there'll be some competition there. But it's hard to find left tackles at this in in the stages of the draft where the Colts will be picking at forty two seventy three, and then into the into day three. It's really hard to find those guys. I mean, remember last year how everyone thought the Colts' biggest need is at left tackle. And Chris Ballard didn't take one at all, really, in the draft. Um, that's because it's it's hard to find those guys. It, once you get beyond the the top couple of guys, like this year, you know, once you get beyond Evan Neal, Iki Aquanu, Charles Cross, you know, maybe you could throw a Trevor Penning, Bernard Raymond in there. Once you get kind of beyond that group, if none of those guys are available when the Colts have their first pick it's hard to find a left tackle who can come in and start. It just is. I, I agree with that. I put I put it higher because of depth. Right. Because I completely right. agree with you, but in just in terms of depth, overall bodies, right now you need more. And I think you can identify – you can get those guys, yeah, in the draft, uh, post-draft, in you the can. priority free agent pool, as well as then in free agency. Let's go on to wide receiver. Mete, what do you got? I got it at boiling, which is a hair under scalding for this uh, exercise. So I've got whether it's the second round or third round, I think wide receiver is bound to be the best player available on the Colts board. So that's day two of the draft. More high-end weapons to complement Matt Ryan. That would be attractive for the Colts because the NFL is proving you need high-end wide receivers in this day and age. And Chris Ballard believes the best way to find those guys is in the draft versus getting involved in the escalating demands of the top-tier receivers who have hit the open market this offseason. The free agency he spending about spree, yeah. yeah. He talked about that in the, uh, the the press conference last Friday, so I've got it at boiling. Same, boiling. That's exactly where I have it as well. I think that you're looking to reinforce that area, provide Matt Ryan with some other weapons, and it is. As we heard from Kevin Rogers, it's a deeper draft pool this year for a number of different reasons, and you have seen the ability to find um, – you know, very strong wide receiver talent in particular in that day two area rounds two and three. I have it at scalding because the Colts haven't, they, they've only had subtractions from that room since the end of the season, whether it's Zach Paschal, I, going I'd to the Eagles. I'd argue Reggie Wayne's an addition to that room. That's a good point. Reggie Wayne is an addition <laughs> to that room. Uh, the guy, always Reggie thinking Wayne could the probably box. still yes. suit up and, you know, go for 500 <laughs> if he wanted to. Um, the, the guys who are on the field, uh, it's only been subtractions. You know, T.Y. Hilton is still a free agent. We'll see what comes of that after the draft. Um, but I, I think that, you know, when we talk about the guys who we think could be, you know, could could take a step forward, Akiki QT, Desmond Patman, Mike Strawn, uh, Paris Campbell, Ashton Doolin, those guys, you add another name in there or two uh, in this NFL draft, that gives you more options for spreading the ball around. You know, different skill sets here and there. Um, I, I think that coming away from this draft with a wide receiver or two is, you know, probably going to be something you'll see. Now, again, I don't know when that will be. Uh, the board has to fall to them, and Chris Ballard has shown he is not going to reach to take a wide receiver to appease folks who are clamoring for it. But I, I think you'll probably see a wide receiver at some point. Uh, just based, again, on there only being subtractions from that room. I also think that there are still, it's worth noting, some attractive free agent wide receiver yes. prospects who are out on the market and still available. Right. So should you not address it in the draft, you have other ways like that you can address that. Need. we saw with Eric Fisher a year ago. Quarterback. What are we talking about here, guys? Uh, I got it. Room Luke, temp. Yeah, right. room temp. Lukewarm. I got it. Room temp. Yeah, I mean Matt Ryan. He can still play. You've got him for two years. He wants to play into his forties. As of now, there's no reason why I think he can't do that. Plus, with him being here, this gives you more time to evaluate quarterback and make sure you get it right when you do make a bold move. Not saying that the bold move will not happen in this draft. But as we've heard this entire time since the combine forward, that this group of quarterbacks. It's not up to par with what we've seen uh, in terms of guys available in the first round or second round. Plus, you've got a guy they really still like on the roster. Sam Ellinger is still here. We forget about that. They want to continue to develop well. and groom him. So I've got it as, you know, lukewarm tomato soup. Yeah. I think, I, yeah, room temp was mine. I mean, look, you, you're you're not drafting for this year. You're drafting for the next four years with these picks. Mm -hmm. But that being said, 
the Colt, like it's going back to the discussion we had with Rank, you know, with Ryan Kelly about a lot of guys being in their primes. If you're drafting a quarterback to be your third stringer, because that's what he would be, because again, Sam Ellinger, like you mentioned, he's the backup quarterback. That doesn't augment your roster right now in the next probably two years. Maybe longer. I mean, Matt Ryan could play out. It, it could be a situation like we're seeing with Jordan Love in Green Bay or Jimmy Garoppolo in New England where you draft these guys thinking, all right, he's going to be the eventual replacement in the second round, and then all of a sudden the, the quarterbacks you have in place just blow away your expectations of how long and how well they can play. So when, when you're looking at building out this roster for the next four years, drafting a quarterback doesn't totally make a ton of sense unless you think that guy – can be a legitimate starter in the NFL in that span. If you if you think that and you believe that and your evaluation tells you that, then you go get that guy because getting a quarterback is the hardest thing to do in the NFL. So I'm not saying the Colts aren't going to take a quarterback, but it would have to be the the perfect fit for them at number 42 mm-hmm. or at number 73 or later on in the draft. All right, last one, tight end. What are we thinking? Uh, I got it boiling because uh, I think you just you need at least one more. Uh, I think Kylan Granson certainly in for a bigger role next season, but that's a big jump to ask him to get into the Jack Doyle blocking efficiency neighborhood. And I, th- I know the Colts would love to have two tight ends on the field at the same time and not be able to tip their hand on if it's run or pass in terms of the, of the formation. So getting someone from college – that can do both at a pretty decent level, I think would still be attractive. And I think you can get a contributing tight end next season on day three, fourth, fifth round. I think there's still good value there. So I think in terms of need and how hot it is, I've got it at boiling. I have it at lukewarm mainly because I think that kind of to Matt's point, he's talking about day three. I think tight end might be an area you can you can address in the undrafted free agent great pool. Point. Just like what we heard from Kevin saying that that is going to be at a premium this year to identify guys in those areas. So that's the only reason it, it is a need, but I think it's one that you cannot spend a draft pick on and probably get a high caliber type of product, a prospect there who can be a difference maker in well, your offense. I think you're right. Bigger picture. You look at last year, there was not an undrafted free agent that made the roster last year. This year you could have five or Multiple, six. Multiple, yeah. Several. Handful you know? of them. Yeah. It ended the streak last year. Uh, yeah, 22 out of 23 well, years. But, I mean, think about the Colts' tight ends last year who played the most snaps. They're both undrafted free agents, Jack Doyle and Mo Cox. So yeah. I, I, I think I agree with both of you on that. I kind of put it at boiling just for more of the reasons Mate said about you know getting into 12 personnel, but it's somewhere in that range. All right, let's go to our mailbag. We have one question this week we want to answer. Here's the mail. It never fails. It makes me want to wag my tail. When it comes, I want to will. You know you're a dad when you know Blue's Clues, but you don't know Drake. That's a good point. That's a very good point. It's sad that two weeks ago when we did our first mailbag podcast, that's the first thing that popped in my head. Warped. Yeah. But yeah, total, I think it's total just, dad move. Yeah. Look, your your brain it's works. It's what in you're great exposed ways, to, Mate. I, I think I think it's great. <laughs> just trying to bring some street credibility to the show. We have well, different audiences. Yeah, right. Um all right, our mailbag question this week comes from at TerryNance124 at Yahoo.com. Do you think there is a possibility that Chris Ballard will slide up into the first round for a wide receiver? I know he said it'd have to be a blue chip player. But doesn't it seem like those type of players would go in the first round? Yes. Yes and no. (laughs) (laughs) Right. I agree. Yes, it seems like those players go in the first round, but no. No, I don't think you're going to see a move up. One, I don't think you have the capital to do it for one. But then also, there's a tweet from yesterday that Adam Schefter put out. And he said, within the past week, as the draft has drawn closer, multiple teams in the top half of the draft have inquired with others to try to trade back in the first round per sources. So far, the interest in moving back in Thursday's draft has greatly exceeded the interest in moving up. And I was listening to something earlier today that said the top 10 picks are pretty strong. But then beyond that, like kind of from, you know, that that 10 through 40 to right. 50 pool, it's really kind Even of Even down parallel. to round three. Yeah. yeah. It, it's All the pretty, same. Yes, right. exactly. So that's why I just don't think this is the year you see it done. Not that I don't think that Chris would do it if he found an ideal situation in another year. I just don't think that it's playing out that this is the year you're going to see those types of moves. I mean, Chris Ballard talked last week about 
you know that the value between pick 20 and pick 40 is pretty similar mm-hmm. and you know that probably goes for every draft but this year it seems like there are you know again based on that a lot of teams are trying to trade down that tells you a lot of teams are are thinking that way that their value uh you know between the mid middle of the first round and maybe the middle of the second round is is pretty similar so the Colts having one of those picks in the middle of the second round I guess it would surprise me if they went up into the first round. Right. But we've seen Chris Ballard. We know we just talked to Kevin Rogers about the trade up for Jonathan Taylor. If you got a guy and you're starting to sense he might not be here in a couple of picks, then yeah, you know, we've seen Chris Ballard target those guys and go up and get them and be successful doing that. We didn't get to the question from Todd Holliday on Twitter, which was great. And I just want to read it to acknowledge it. If you have to bet your Peloton on what position other than kicker the Colts won't draft this week when all seven rounds are complete, what would it be? And if you don't own one, you can bet Lara's. Why is mine up for grabs? I, I don't love, like this. I, I don't know a Peloton. other people's money. Yeah, no, I don't know a Peloton, no, but I'm I'll not, bet your Peloton. I mean, I'm not betting my Peloton, but I got a, I got a few thoughts on this. But yeah, no. Tweet, tweet us your answers to that question, uh, and maybe we can bet Lara's Peloton. Long snapper. On it. Long snapper. They probably won't draft a long snapper. Luke Rhodes is Punter. an all pro. Punter. Those are pretty good. Will linebacker. Yeah, it's pretty deep. See, we answered the question. All right, hey, we got to get to Maytay's random thought of the week before we get out of here. Maytay's random thought of the week. And why is the carpet all wet, Todd? I don't know, Margo. You guys going out of town? Is this toothbrush approved by the American Dental Association? You know if it's cold there? Do these vans get good gas mileage? How fast does this thing go? Does it have automatic transmission? Does it have four-wheel drive? Shut up! Shut up! Shut up! Shut up! Shut up! All right, the random thought of the week in line with uh, the NFL draft coming up Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. Guys, if you were an NFL draft prospect, how would you guys uh, go about watching the draft? What would you do during the draft, and then how would you celebrate oh, being drafted? Am I projected? What round am I projected to go in? Because that's going to be very— Yeah, I think, I think we're talking first round of this. Oh, I'm going. I want all the fanfare. I want to be like, I want to float across across the pool at the Bellagio <laughs> out like full tilt. Like, yes, full send if I'm going in the draft. Like, I want like the, the table is going to be ridiculous because um, so I mean, you know, my parents are divorced and remarried. So I got like four parents and then I got like my siblings and then I got my husband's family. So there, I would need like three tables for just like the family. Like I'm going all over the top. You wow. get this one time. Yes, Absolutely. I'm there. I'm in Vegas. Uh, I, I, well, yeah, I want to f- glide across the fountains. Um, I want the, f- the photo op with Goodell where he's probably going to botch my name because he's not going to say Lara. It'll be Lara or something, you know. Lara, Lara Overton. Something not Lara. Right. Defensive yeah. end. Indiana. Absolutely. Yeah. L-E-O, baby. Uh, can, I, take, can, I, can I guess what yours is? Okay. Macy's I, watching at home on the south side. Yeah, you're okay. watching it at home. Yep. You got a 12-pack yep. of, uh, you know, your light beer of choice. Yep. You got some buddies over. You got your parents there. You got, you know, yep. a couple friends. Yep. Got a fire pit going outside if it gets late into the night because the draft doesn't start until 8 o'clock here yep. in Eastern time, which is the worst time zone ever. And you're just kind of hanging out, having a very relaxing evening. And knowing that I'm coming into money, I book Van Halen like Spicoli to play my birthday party <laughs> in the backyard. <laughs> So, yeah, that's pretty close. Absolutely. How, I would, b- how about you? I, I think I'm in the middle of you guys. I think I would like to do it at, like, a like a good restaurant. Like, let's get some friends together at a restaurant, have, like, a nice nice dinner. Nice no bowl again, of Jardinera on the table. Oh, uh, I mean, Jardinera all over the table. <laughs> Just jars of Marconi for everyone. <laughs> you, you know, yeah, absolutely. I'm, I'm, you know what? Forget it. I'm having it at Portillo's. <laughs> You guys, so a little inside inside baseball here. JJ brings his jar of jardinera to the lunchroom to supplement his lunch on a near daily basis. So my, my, yeah. I, look, the the Colts Cafe has delicious food, and I get a stir fry bowl with no sauce. It's brown rice loaded up with veggies and chicken, and then you throw the jardinera on there. Yeah, the jardinera kind of gets into the rice. The oil gets into the rice. It tastes beautiful. It's healthy. And it is delicious, and I put Jardinera on yeah. everything. Uh, so I'll Marconi take I'll, I'll take your Jardinera and raise you. I want like a Wayne Newton, and you know, like with me on my on my boat across Here the Here she comes, <laughs> <laughs> Miss Draft Pick. <laughs> yeah, and you got wings on and everything. Yeah, it's just turned into a beauty pageant all of a sudden. I don't know. I don't know why. <laughs> At defensive end. <laughs> no, yes. Great. 
This is good. Tweet us what you would do with uh, you being a first round draft pick. How you would watch it. How you would celebrate it's Vegas. It. You gotta go over the top. If there's ever a, right. if there's ever yeah. an opportunity, I'm specifically talking this draft. So yeah, yeah. you know. Yeah, Th- this is if you're ever gonna go go big or go home, it is Las Vegas, Vegas Nevada baby. for the NFL draft. We're gonna have plenty of coverage of the NFL draft coming up here on Colts.com, on Colts social channels, and on the Colts Audio Network over the next couple of days. Wednesday, that's tomorrow. We got a couple of interviews with some players here. Uh, we're gonna have on the Colts Audio Network. Maytay and I are gonna sit down with someone to be determined. Uh, check out that a on player the Colts to Audio be named Network. later. That's a, a player to be named later. Yeah, baseball. Mm-hmm. Hey, that's a baseball term right there. Check out that on the Colts Audio Network on Friday. Day one reaction of the draft on the last word. Go check that out, uh, whether you're listening to it live on the radio or here on the Colts Audio Network. We're going to have audio interviews with all the Colts draft picks after they are selected on Friday and Saturday, or maybe Thursday. Again, not ruling it out, but probably not super likely. Maytay and Rick Venturi, you guys are going to be doing draft updates twice an hour on 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan during the draft, Thursday night and Friday night. You can join the Colts draft party on Friday night at Kilroy's and Broad Ripple. Go buy Rick Venturi a beer or uh, what What do they have there? The mozzarella sticks? The breadsticks? Uh, they have oh, the pepperoni-loaded yeah. breadsticks. Yeah. 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 Sorry, I'm not Kilroy's an IU breadsticks. guy. Kilroy's breadsticks. Still somewhat new in town. Go buy Rick Venturi the breadsticks. Uh, Matt and Rick are, are going to be breaking down every day of the draft following the Colts draft picks. Check out episode three of With the Next Pick, which again drops later on Tuesday. I'm going to have a big draft preview up on Colts.com and analysis of every single draft pick the Colts have over the weekend. Did I miss anything? That's it. We're loaded, man. Busy, busy weekend. And then next week on the official Colts podcast, we are going to break down the Colts draft again from you know with a little bit of time to think about it. More conversations with Frank Reich and Chris Ballard about it. Big week coming up here. Tuesday night with the next pick. Watch it. Absolutely watch it. For Lara Overton and Matt Taylor, I'm JJ Stankovitz. Thank you so much for watching. Please rate, review, and subscribe to the Colts Audio Network so you don't miss any of our great content coming out over the next couple of days. Give us a five-star review. And we will talk to you next week here on the official Colts podcast presented by WinBet.